Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Beach Grit recently announced that 2022 was the year of the Condor. The 52-year-old Santa Cruz icon Peter Mel already had serious props as a pro surfer, big wave world champion, big wave tour commissioner, WSL commentator and Mavericks OG. Then he rode a wave at Mavs on the 8th of January 2021, which without doubt was the biggest and best ever paddled into at the big wave spot. My name is Ben Mundy, and in the latest edition of Dirty Water, we talked to Pete about the narrative arc of that wave, his meth addiction in the early 2000s, his work with WSL, and his recent sort of collab and big wave partnership with his son, John. I thought I might let Chaz Smith post a little piece on, um, on Beach Grit uh, recently. I might just read it back to you, Paul, and get you. Oh, sorry, Pete, and get your uh, your take on it if that's all right. And it said, <laughs> as wrote, just today, fifty-two-year-old Santa Cruz icon Peter Mel choked out the idea of Slater's elderly stranglehold by posting the most searing clip ever of a man, woman, or birthing person surfing with a half century plus under the belt. Yeah, you of course know Mel as the world's second greatest <laughs> surf commentator. I don't know who the first is, and also a big wave stud. His Maverick ride months ago won the coveted Ride of the Year award. I think it is clear that this is the year of the Condor. Wow, Peter Mel, what do you think about that as a fucking ride up straight off the bat? Well, it's always um, an honor to be part of uh, Beach Grits, you know, uh, online feed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I posted a clip from uh, the swell we had recently had, which is also known as the uh, Code Red 2.0. Um, we had some great surf here and, uh, I just happened to have a, a few waves that I had from a session and I threw those up on my Instagram feed and, um, I got a lot of bites and one of them happened to be beach grit. I mean, obviously uh, there is no way I could ever be compared, compared to Slater. <laughs> so I, in a funny way, it's kind of, you know, I think it's more of a, a slapstick stuff that, you know, beach grits likes to put together and they do definitely as of recently like to poke uh, the goat a little bit, <laughs> Kelly Slater, oh, <laughs> trying to get somehow to get him <laughs> back into it, into their feed. Cause I think he's, uh, he's blocked them guys. So, <laughs> yeah. um, they're relentless. And I think it was just a, a, a little jab at, at Slater. Cause uh, there's no way I'm compared to that guy. <laughs> I, um, saw red. Then there was obviously you go down the comments, which is always a, a dangerous place to go. And it's, um, sometimes, but I saw, uh, even you opted into that, Pete. There was a Axel Pose, if whoever Axel Pose is, and he wrote that uh, Pete or his surfing looks the same as it did 25 years ago. Like he's waiting on a section to stand up where others are stalling off the bottom with footwork and body language. He looks like a bance, a boxer who doesn't dance. And then I saw you opt in there, Pete, um, which was a brave and and funny. And and you said thank you for the tips, Axel. I'll I'll take some dancing lessons, but um. I got a laugh out of that too, but um, good. That's what it was for. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to use my real name. Um, I don't use, uh, you know, all of the the handles that they all use. But yeah, I put myself out there a little bit. I mean, shoot, it's still self-deprecating in a way. I, it's just part of who I am. Um, you know, I'm pretty 
out there and uh, invisible, I guess, or not invisible, but visible, you know, in, in the regards to putting myself out there as far as a commentator goes, um, you know, recently my life story, you know, my drug addiction and all that came out. So, um, yeah, it's just part of who I am. And, you know, hey, I, I should probably take a little bit. I, I'm very aware of all of those comments. I, I do look it through Beach Grid and I look through um, stuff just to, I think there's some tips you can take from that. And now I'm, I'm, you know, from reading those comments, I'm going to start hitting the lip a little bit more <laughs> because that's, uh, they, they say that I'm afraid of the lip. So um, oh, <laughs> I'm going to attack the lip a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the first bit where he says he's surfing looks the same as he did 25 years ago. I mean, that's surely there's no higher compliment. Um, as if that's flattering. Yes. But then the fact that he says that I don't dance, you know, then I had to take that one. So I'm like, uh-huh. okay, cool. I'm going to start dancing. You talk about that, um, yeah, the, the movie that came out on, on Stab, um, which is your life story, and it was brilliantly done. I thought it was a brilliant film, sort of well told to, to sum up a pretty amazing life um, in such a, a short space of time. But, um, yeah, and you mentioned the, the drug addiction, but I was having sort of a bit of research about that, and, I mean, it's obviously wasn't a secret. Like I read, just going back through the research, it, like I saw a bit from 2009, I think it was Kimball Taylor. I'm not sure where it was, but... Where I think Surfer he was Maggie. doing a he was doing a um, piece on on flea, but on his sort of just he was just starting his recovery. But so you know that that was a long time ago. Did did that movie make the route more recent one make you go through all over again? Are you sick of talking about it? Is it something that you think is important, or where do you sort of stand on sort of rehashing all that? It was still seemed pretty raw in the film from 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 watching it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't really um, put myself out there via video and literally talked about that. And it was it was therapeutic in a way, I guess. Um, you're always constantly going to be dealing with something like that with addiction in your life. Um, you're always just one you know step away probably from you know a, a relapse or anything like that, especially when you deal with life the way life is, you know, is these days. Um, so I have to constantly be reminded and remind myself, uh, in regards to staying sober. So I, I do that. Uh, and it was again, therapeutic in a way, just be able to talk about it. And, and I hope that me sharing some of that stuff, I mean, it's not all the deep, dark stuff, but being able to share that, that, um, there's a, you know, a life after, um, you know, getting sober, right. And there's still joy and there's still goals to achieve and there's still, you know, um, stuff to to strive for. So I think sharing that part of it is, is beneficial to people. And so I, I do believe that, you know, some of the ways to really keep yourself um, sober is to surround yourself with good people um, and to share your story with people that are struggling and hopes that there is giving somebody a little light at the end of the tunnel, because I feel like when someone's really deep and dark and at their lows, it's, it can feel like there's nothing um, that can help you. And, you know, sharing those stories, sharing that with others that are struggling is something that I think is very helpful. So that was part of it. Um, I don't necessarily like talking about it all the time. It's something that can be a little bit embarrassing, especially when you start hearing some of the stories (laughs) of what you'd done back in the days. Um, but overall, like I said, I've, I've been able to persevere through it. So, um, and, you know, keep relationships intact. Um, never really spent time in jail, which was fortunate. I could easily have had that happen, especially when some of those things I did in my life, I was, they were very lucky. 
Were you lucky um, in terms of not getting caught or just or just didn't? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a story of me driving across town that literally I should have gone to jail that night for sure. And that was kind of the end of it. You know, there was, you know, there's other things too that happened throughout that, that um, were just literally, you know, something was looking over me to, to not put me there and was allowing me to figure it out on my own rather than being forced to figure it out from a, you know, jail pen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, those, like I said, those are things that, and then I, you know, went to help me get sober. I, you know, I definitely used some tools that were um, available, you know, rehab, uh, you know, um, AA things that, um, you know, where you're able to see and feel people that have, have had the same experiences and, and get through it. And what about that time, like just in terms of your career and your work and finances and all that, did, did they take a massive hit? Like does people don't really talk about the ins and outs of people's finance. I'm not interested in that so much, but just in terms of sort of losing sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, to be honest, I was very fortunate at that time <laughs> um, that actually my boss at the time was Strider Wazalewski uh, with Quicksilver. He was, oh, he was running the team. And yeah. So uh, the first person I actually called in, in all of that was, um, was him. And, and I came clean and I said, Hey, I'm struggling. I need to go. And he was very, I mean, as a good friend, I've known Strider since I was 12 years old. So um, it was very easy to, to talk to them. And then they're, they're very supportive. Of course, I was lucky in the sense that I never had anything that went out there in the press, you know, and because at that time it probably could have been um, detrimental to my career. I mean, obviously physically and um, it took a little time to come around, you know, there was a couple of years there where, you know, I didn't know what I was doing uh, in regards to professional surfing, but I, I, persevered I did a lot of commentary work and I still surfed about but I mean it, it actually over time is in a way has gotten um gotten better right so I, I feel like um the surfing part of it at this point in life I really don't have a ton of sponsorship I've got my own brand with Freeline Surf Shop I get great support from Channel Islands um you know Futures Vins it's like just stuff like that but I mean monetarily I don't have a sponsorship deal so it's all about having fun and and enjoying the ocean and getting the therapy through that and just in that's where i've really found my joy yeah well i suppose that's when they say that the year of the condor i mean it's funny that you've sort of come back after that the mavericks season last season where it suddenly um and with good reason you sort of became the most sort of high profile surfer out there for a week or two <laughs> or maybe longer yeah. so that's how long it lasts <laughs> I want to. I mean, I know you've talked to you that way as well. But I, 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 I actually, in the, some of those comments on Beach Grid, it was like there was guys saying uh, it's one of those waves that you can just watch over and over and over. Like it's very few waves that you, no matter how many times you see it, it's still that you know your famous big wave, big barrel at, um, at Mavericks in like January, I think the eighth. Uh, yeah, it's one of those waves that you can. Oh, I, I have as well. Just watch it so many times, but. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know why it is, but yeah, suddenly you're you're a big time pro surfer, Pete. You're you're back in the limelight. Yeah, mate. I just posted it again this morning on my reels, dude. You can go <laughs> check it out again if you want. Um, you know, it's what I, I think. There's a couple things that you know, the, obviously the wave, um, and that nobody had really conquered that part of Mavericks before. You know, not at least paddling. 
So I think there's that part of it, but really, I think the joy of it, and I, again, just going and listening through it today, again, um, there's a, you know, the audio that comes through from my son, right? Which is like, Hey, look at the condor. And you can hear his voice. And I think that kind of starts the vibe of the whole thing. And then the audio really carries that part. You know, there's like this, Oh my God. Oh my God. You know, and it, it like, you get drawn into all of that. And I think that's why the clip is so special is because there's the fact that my kid's involved, my really good friend, Jamie Mitchell's there and his audio, even um, the power lines guys, you know, uh, Kurt Myers, who is there, he's got his audio in there involved as well. And so that part of it kind of is the story too, right? It's like, you can sense in their voices how special the wave was or is. And, and the bit where you're um, just sitting sort of arms crossed, you've got your hands sort of under your arms, even that's a little... Um, yeah, probably only 10, 15 seconds, but it sort of adds, yeah, you just say it's a little narrative arc, isn't it? But it's even little bits like that just yes. add so much. The whole thing, yeah, it was a perfect little story, isn't it? Exactly. Within, you know, in a 20 second thing, you can see there's this sense of accomplishment, this just amazing, you know, like rise. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, it is literally a, like a movie within 30 seconds. Right. So that's the part that I think is is so special about it. Um, obviously the wave is there too, but I mean, it, it definitely helps with that clip and that's why it's so fun to watch. Cause you just see this, you know, in these days, you know, when you're looking at things that are just so quick and you know, it's like, okay, cool. If I can watch a 30 second clip and watch this, you know, 30 years of accomplishment happening in 30 seconds, that's kind of what that is. It is. And I was interested in that in terms of like, obviously it's a huge wave and you know, your age, I know myself, probably a couple of years younger than you but obviously no one here is talented but just everything gets harder and your, your reflexes are slower and everything's hard I mean do you notice that I mean that your age or how, how much training do you do or how much fitness stuff do you do because when, when I've worked I've been lucky to work with you over the years I've never seen you sort of up in the morning pounding the pavement or I don't know what your, your regime is but yeah how hard do you work and all that stuff just so that you can ride something like that you know, I think for me, I mean, I'm physically um, pretty fit. I mean, I'm not, um, again, I'm not training hard every day, which I think is is definitely something that um, is very responsible and also um, you should do if you're going to be doing what I've been doing. Um, I'm surf fit. You know, I try to surf every day as much as I can. Um, but I think more than anything, the, the other part of it is, is, you know, the mental health and the um, you know, what I do, I have a pretty, um, scheduled way. I, I like thing. I like my body to be, um, on schedule, especially with the plumbing. <laughs> so I, I mean, I do things that are, <laughs> I do things that are, that are, I have to do every day. Like, I, you know, I wake up in the morning, I have a really hot, um, glass of water with, with lemon and, and, um, apple cider vinegar. And I, you know, I down that every day with one cup of coffee and I, and I, you know, try to eat really good so that, you know, my system is, you know, scheduled. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's very beneficial. I literally like psychologically it's best. It's a good thing. That first two in the morning you know, sounds very important. Oh yeah. No, it's, yeah, it is. I mean, and that's not the only thing that's going to do that, but I mean, it's just, it, I guess it's scheduling and, and being healthy and taking care of yourself and drinking lots of water and those things that, keep your body, you know, elastic and um, so you don't get injured and, and just trying to keep, you know, maybe some dance lessons. Um, you know, all those <laughs> things are, are part of, of, again, the mental health, especially these days, man, that, you know, it's so hard to, 
to, to read the news and, um, you know, and, and not get down and psychologically. So I, I try to do everything I can to, to stay up. And, and some of the ways that that happens is just eating right, being healthy. I, mean, I, I think that Slater is a perfect example of that. If you look about longevity, I don't think he's ever one that's been pounding out, you know, weights and training super hard. He just takes care of himself. Um, and, and I think the biggest part of that is that's, you know, psychologically, how do you stay healthy in the brain that allows you to be able to, you know, stay young psychologically and, um, you know, physically fit is, is a relative in the sense that, you know, Hey, stretching, you know, you're feeling sore, you know, you have to, you know, do maintenance to your body. So those are all things that, you know, and I think training is, is definitely helpful, especially if you're, if you're younger and you're going to put yourself in those situations. I mean, you know, what I'm watching these young guys do now at, at Mavericks, man, you know, that it's, it's good to have that added element of training. And that sort of mental health, I mean, apart from when you were in, on drugs or addiction, was there a mental health issues? With, I mean, that's a, it's a broad topic, isn't it? But it's, it's good to talk about. But was that, I know Kelly sort of just, these, those new lost tapes, he can tell, see himself working on himself the whole time. But is yeah. that something you had to do before the drugs and or after has always been a part of, of who you are? Or is, or is it just as, as every normal person needs to work on themselves, do you think? Yeah, no, it's been after, after the, I mean, I think that that was the quick fix was, um, you know, just trying to a selfish motive is that you're trying to stay at this like heightened level of, you know, adrenaline and, um, you know, and competition. And it was really ego is what that was. Um, you know, I was trying to stay up and, and be the man and be the guy. And then all of a sudden you're on the other side of that. And I think Kelly's probably in that same place where he's still trying to compete at this highest level, but the only way that you're going to compete at the highest level that he's doing is to be happy doing it and, you know, and not overcooked. I mean, I think he's one of those guys that realizes like, Hey, if I know I'm going to be surfing a heat the next day and a perfect example is, is this year's event at pipeline. Um, he mentioned that, you know, the day before the event started was pumping pipeline, but he knew that he couldn't go hard that day before because the next day you're going to be cooked. So he, he was able to say, okay, I know what I need to do in order to be at the highest level for this next day. I'm just going to take it easy. You know, a young guy can actually go and do that, you know, pound themselves in the lineup and then be up and ready to go do it again on the next day. Whereas Kelly realized that that wasn't the case. And what happens, he knew he, he was able to gauge his, you know, physical and mental health to the point of winning an event at, at, you know, close to 50 years old, which is amazing. And that's because he knows his body and he knows what he needs to do in order to be at the highest level at his age. And I think that's, what's happening with me is that, you know, at 50, you're like, okay, my body isn't like it was at 25, but my brain is a lot smarter. (laughs) At least I like to think it is. And uh, you, you listen to that stuff and you know what you need to do in order for your body to be the best it can possibly be at 52 years old. And that ego drove you when you were young. I suppose when you were, it's a different scene for pro surfers and that big wave surfers, I suppose. Like you, I, you don't strike me as being as an egotistical person, I wouldn't say, in my dealings with you or even as your reputation. I'm good at, you good at hiding it. Sound like you, to me, you seem quite <laughs> self aware and stuff, but. I suppose it's you, you have to have that. I suppose when you're young or in that in that big wave world or competitive world, I suppose it's without it, you you fucked. I suppose. Yeah, ways. no, I would agree. I mean, it's definitely something that your mind over matter, and it's like, like I said, I was I was kind of blind to the to the um, 
to the repercussions of what I was doing that could have happened. I thought I was invincible. Um, you know, you come to find out with age, that's not the case. You know, you see and, and, um, read about the things that have happened. You know, I mean, people died at Mavericks and very, very, um, mentally and physically fit humans have, you know, passed away there. So you got to be understanding of that. Um, and there's times when you're not feeling hundred percent and you got to be able to put that ego aside and, and, uh, go, hey, I'm not, I'm not there today. You know, especially when you're not feeling it mentally, if you're sitting there questioning yourself, like, Hey, you know, I was very fortunate for that year that that was all happening. Um, we had had the best season ever at Maverick. So I was able to kind of build up to that moment. Um, you know, because we had had a great run of swell in December and I kind of just like all of a sudden psychologically I was building, um, I was able to catch some big waves again. Like I hadn't, and I hadn't been putting a ton of time into Mavericks. It really came because of John, my son, you know, he's trying to get himself out there and push himself a little bit. And, and so I, you know, I wanted to be there with him to kind of, you know, train him and, and give him my knowledge. And, And so that was why I was there, you know, and he's wanting to share with us. Oh yeah, go get a couple of waves. And all of a sudden I'm kind of building momentum through this winter. And we were able to surf it, I would say 30 times in a year with, and whereas last year I, I surfed it three, you know, that's amazing. The difference, in a, you know, a season can make anyway. So I think that's a part of the reason why that happened is because I was able to psychologically build myself and go, wow, I still got it. And this boards work really good. And I'm like, you know, I'm catching big waves. And then, you know, the next time I'm back out there, you know, and I'm, oh, wow, this lineup is working. I'm, I'm figured it out, you know? So you use all this experience you had for surfing there 30 years, and then I'm still physically capable of doing it. And it just, and then psychologically it was being built up uh, to that point. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen in ever again, but uh, that felt like a, a big reason of why there was such success that season. And how's John? Is he what sort of does he what does he share with you in terms of? I mean, you think about the very different environments that he's surfing those waves in compared to what you did at that age. But yeah, what is he similar to you in in many ways? His surfing approach, or even his personality traits, or is it a bit of a yin and yang sort of teamwork? How's it work? I, I would uh, say that it's pretty pretty close, to be honest. I mean, that's where I was feeling like he takes a very um, measured approach to surfing out there. Um, and, uh, and almost a, in a way it's a very mature approach. You know, he's not one to be the guy who's just going on waves to go on waves just to test what that limit is. He he's, <laughs> if he's going to be turning around and going for a wave, it's a wave that he feels like he's going to make. He's not reckless. And I think that was kind of similar approach that I took out there, uh, through my career. It was a very you know measured approach. I wanted to make every wave I rode. I didn't want to just go to see, um, what would happen, <laughs> Um, so that makes me feel good, but you know, he's also younger and he's also trying to, you know, set a bar. So, you know, there's risks that take, you know, going left now is something that we just stayed away from. But now you look at what these young goofy footers are doing. They're, they're trying to backdoor the peak and that always is a little, um, unnerving because, you know, obviously the, in my opinion, the, the left, if you're to have a wipeout or, have a situation that's he kind of puts you in the worst case scenario because you know you're going against the grain as far as current goes and you've got these big rocks that are right there on the inside um it's shallow you know guys can hit the bottom there and um it also puts you directly in the pit when you you know if you're back during the peak <clears throat> you're putting yourself in in the place that you don't even like to look at at times so 
that's always a little frightening, but that's why I think another reason why uh, on a safety measure, you have to have this, um, you know, someone there that's specifically watching you. Um, and that's where my role comes in is like, Hey, I'm going to be there. <clears throat> if a situation were to go down, I'm going to be there with a ski. I have radios. I have um, eyes on the cliff. I have, uh, you know, all these safety measures put in place to be able to, you know, if an incident were to happen to be able to do the best you can to, to make sure he comes out of it. Yeah. It's a very different <laughs> compared to when you were doing it 25 years before. Right, and that was the thing we did it with no life jackets, you know, we did no life jackets, no boats. Um, and so, you know, and that's how I, and then even more so in this place is that there is these other things that have happened in the progression of big wave surfing is these inflation vests that are so amazing now. Um, you know, the skis, um, you know, there's you know, patrol, like walk patrol that's out there, water safety. So these all things we didn't have back in the day. Um, and it's made the progression of the sport really cool. Um, but it's also created, uh, you know, an atmosphere of a lot more people involved because it's so much safer, I guess, than it used to be. Yeah. And you don't have a, he doesn't have a pair of rat bags or, or you were all pushing each other and egging each other on, I suppose. But, you know, like we're not. Yeah, there's a little of that. I would say there's a young crew there. I mean, I think that's, to be honest, I think that's as long as you're not being reckless because of it. Um, and I, and I'd like to think if I look back on, you know, my days there at Mavericks and, you know, there's these rumors that we were there being high the whole time. And that's not something that I, that I did. Um, you know, there was not to say that it didn't happen, but overall it wasn't something that I did Yeah, <laughs> because I knew. That. Yeah. So I, again, I was a little more measured in that approach. Um, in that these days, I think that there's a healthy rivalry of, of kids growing up and pushing each other a little bit is, is good. Yeah, uh, just yeah. not to the point of being reckless and not keeping it going outside of the wetsuit, you know, and carrying it into the nightlife, which is what kind of happened with me. Well, one of the in that movie, I thought one of the sort of more not disturbing but sort of hurtful things was that you, the fight between you and Flea, which I don't know why it sort oh, of got me like the, the old footage. Of you, and it's just a scuffle that mates have. I, you know, we, I've had scuffles with mates like that, or I've seen hundreds of them. I grew up in Australia, I've seen. You know, it's a common thing, but for some reason, it sort of got me that little bit. That I don't know why. I don't know how it affected you, but um, just felt like there's so much sort of energy or sort of emotion and good and bad all coming out together. That kind of I don't know why it got me that bit. Yeah, I mean, it, it that was again just a, a alcohol fueled dumb, stupid thing of competitiveness yeah. between two mates that have been pushing each other to the le highest level for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was almost a culmination of it, which then again, in the hindsight probably brought us closer. Yeah. Um, and it's also rad because I mean, Flynn didn't get sober until probably almost two or three years after I did. Um, so, I mean, our relationship, unfortunately during that period, we didn't hang out at all. Um, because, you know, obviously obvious reasons, you know, and, and, you know, trying to get him to pull himself out of that thing was really impossible. It really took him to figure that one out because I mean, his closest, every one of his closest friends tried. Um, but it, you know, it took him falling off a cliff and, you know, do almost coming into situations that he, you know, he realized that he had to pull himself out, but it took a while. And how about what are you, what's your relationship now with Flea? Is it sort of texting every now and again or just you just know he's always there or he, you know do you hang out or what's the sort of how, how does it work out now with given it, all you've been literally it, it's yeah we text occasionally not a lot um we surf 
quite often together. And I think that's the part that's just standard is that he's, um, you know, he's raising his family. So he's got a schedule he has to be on. Um, we surf a wave that is um, one of our locals. It is an amazing wave that we surf very often together. So we get to see each other in the water and that's the best place to see each other is literally in the water. Cause um, you know, we love surfing and that's never going to change. And I think, you know, psychologically, that's some of the best things you got to keep doing is just staying in the water. Cause at that point that's, that's life. And um, I would never give it up. Yeah, exactly. And that shines through like back sort of to a lot of people sort of know if you, you're commentating sort of stuff. Well, as, as a commentator, how sort of, where do you place that? You're sort of, I mean, where would you put on your business card or where, you know, what type of role does that, is that now just a, a you know, it's a way of making money and, and traveling or is it something more important or is it something you want to, you know, you, you want to give up or continue? Cause I mean, I'm sort of super part-time at it. You're more established, but yeah. Where, where, where do you place that kind of that work in your, in your. Um, it's, it's, that's an interesting one. I, I mean, I've been doing it for a very long time. Um, you know, I think I started in the two, early 2000s, you know, it, it, we we did it with a, a local kind of local events. And then, you know, Quicksilver kind of brought me in around 2008 or nine, but I was doing it, you know, in 2003, four or five, I was, I was, that's when I started. And then, you know, Quicksilver kind of um, brought me in for their events and and then, you know, obviously that's when you kind of make the CT. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, well, that shines that's through. I would say that working with you, the excitement has to be there. Otherwise, you just couldn't do it, could you? You still got to be yeah. sort of buzzed on pro surfing, or you'd be you'd be finished. And I, and I am, you know. And I think a lot of it too is the fact that you know I've got a son who's trying to aspire to be there too. You know, right? That's kind of keeping me involved, and just you know, so I watch, and, and it's you know, in order for me to, it's almost a study, right, of understanding what you know, pro surfing and what successes need to be, what do you need to be doing to get there to the top of, uh, you know, to the levels of the, you know, John, John Florence's and the Jack Robinson's and the Griffins, you know, like those are, I, you know, it's exciting. I love watching it. I love, um, talking about it. So that's kind of always there. I mean, I, I think the traveling part gets a little tougher now as you get older and just, you know, um, so I'm not as doing, I mean, and that's the thing. I'm not ready to just go, okay, I'm on full time. You know, I'm going to go to every event because uh, it isn't really necessarily my way to make a living. Right. I've, we run a surf shop here in Santa Cruz and that's kind of my staple. And um, the added value of going to those championship tour events are fun, but it also helps pay the bills too, you know, inside of it, you know, surf shops, you know, it's only one door. It's not like I have seven shops in the, in the world, you know, trying to make a bunch of money. It's, it's something that's just keeping me stable. And, um, but like I said, I, I, I would think that if the commentary were to go away, I wouldn't be, you know, beholden to it. I'm just, uh, I do it because it's super fun. And I, and I like to think that I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you are, um, how, how can it be better though, Pete? What, I mean, I, I do it a bit, and I what I listen to it, and, I, and the model seems to be pretty much the same, isn't it? I, it's a hard, it's, yeah. It's a hard sport to commentate because it's, it's, there's just so much downtime, isn't there? And you've, you've got to talk. It's yeah. It's really and just you know, like a football match lasts well over here in Europe lasts you know ninety minutes. Even I know the gridiron goes for longer, but you're talking all day, which is a rare thing. But yeah, I just wonder what 
Um, yeah, your thoughts on what? You know, if you had the reins of it, what what, what would you do to, to try and make it more interesting well, I think and better? That, yeah, the, I mean, the World Surf League's in a in a in a situation where you know it's it's not like there's a big bag of money. I mean, that it just keep pulling from to to make it better. I mean, because there's obviously things you can do to the broadcast to make it more entertaining, but it, it costs more money, really. What it comes down to, you kind of now. Uh, beholden to what the model, you know, monetarily is allowed to be able to bring to the life, you know? So I think obviously that for me, if I were to make some, um, if I were running it, I would say, and what the budgets are allowing us to contain now is to bring in more voices. Um, especially if you're going to bring in, you know, like I, for example, I think one of the things that happened recently was there are the changes to the schedule and, and the way that it works to, you know, I think the cuts, those things are all things that have been very kind of exciting. Um, you know, I think in the WSL, you know, the Rip Curl WSL finals at Trestles last year, when we were able to see kind of Mick and Kelly step in um, and hear their voices during those moments of, you know, the finals and stuff, I think was super good. And that's where I think that you can do, you can bring more um, great voices into it. Uh, I think the technology is there to be able to do that right now. You're having those call-ins, you know, where you're able to, um, you know, call, call these people in and bring their voices and bring their perspective in. I think that's a way to keep it entertaining is to, you know, cause you're basically talking for hours, right? So it's like, a, you know, you look at golf as an example, I think is the best sport you can kind of correlate to it. You, you have this four day event that goes all day long. Um, you know, and how do you make that interesting and in watching golf? Right. So some people get into it. Some people don't, I love watching golf, but, uh, you know, those are the things that you can do is you're, you're bringing in all these techniques and technology and those things are, I think are important. So that was what I would do right out of the gates. But if we had a big bag of money, Hey, let's bring us 40 different angles. Let's bring us all this content from history, historical content, you know, and those things all cost lots of money. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be bringing in all that stuff, I mean, now they kind of built this library, you know, since 2014, we've been able to build this library of all this great content from past events, but being able to pull that, you know, I think that's, that's manpower too, right. That's extra cash to be able to, you know, have somebody back there going through all this footage and, and literally putting it on the table. And I think at this point, you know, the WSL is working towards that. Um, but you know, the, it, the sponsorship dollars have to come in. There has to be more money involved in order to make that more personnel to make that happen. So Sounds at the point now the, that's kind of the quick fixes are, you know, bringing more voices. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously as it grows and builds and there's more money involved, bring in, you know, the, more technology, you know, bring in a couple of drones, bring in, you know, um, yeah. All right, don't audio. You, talking about sort of getting rid of the old voices, Pete, so I'm getting a little bit nervous here, but um, uh, yeah, now I, I agree, you know, like young voices, more diverse voices, absolutely. But how would you describe your relationship with WSL now? Uh, you know, it's, you've had, you've been both on the inside, of, you, you're just a, you're not employed by them, are you? We're just sort of freelance contractors to, to a degree, but yeah, how, uh, it might have had its ups and ups and downs. Where are you at with it now? Are you, how would you describe that relationship without doing yourself well, I've been, obviously? I've been, you know, part of the organization since 2014, which is the year that they took over for the ASP. Um, and I've had different roles within that. You know, the big wave thing I think was probably the most challenging for me just because, you know, we're building this product and, um, 
you're trying to figure out what's going to work for it. And, and you look at where it is today compared to what it was when I started and it's a different, you know, it's a different product. It's literally now two events. Um, you know, you've got jaws and you've got in Nazare, Nazare being the toe event, which is a, you know, again, big wave, but it's really a different sport than what I was working on, which was the big wave paddle aspect, the big wave tour. Um, and we had, you know, we were working at it, but it was difficult, man. It's the hardest thing in the world is to, you know, be the person that is trying to call an event on, um, you know, five days in advance um, from across the globe. It, it, it was a challenge, you know, and, and also trying to get everybody there and have it, you know, pull it off. It was very stressful. I did it for a couple of years and, you know, and then and to find the person that's able to really do that is, is a challenge. I don't, you know, there's not really anybody there now that's specifically in charge of big wave. It's, it's done by the tours and competitions, which is, you know, Jesse Miley Dyer, um, you know, and the, and the whole crew there, but you know, there's not a ton of big wave experience in regards to that. So it's like, that's why it's kind of seeing now that there's only a couple events there because monetarily it didn't get the sponsorship, you know, it didn't have, um, it, it gets the eyes, which is great, but it's just so hard to, to run an event as a sponsor and go, okay, it's going to happen in a three month window. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like how do you activate uh, an event when you don't know what day it's going to happen? So that's always a challenge and that's always going to be a challenge. So um, I understand where they're at right now. It's, it's, it's difficult, but um, you know, I, I had a passion for that. I, so my relationship there is that I basically got, it was so much that I couldn't handle it. Um, my family couldn't handle it. It was just like, I'm sitting there staring at a computer screen and trying to talk to people constantly through the big wave season. And it just took too much time and energy. So that part was, you know, now I've kind of found a, a nice medium at the world surf league. I, I get to do um, a couple events. I don't necessarily get to cherry pick my events, but I get to do them occasionally. And I, I'm going to finish out the season. I'm going to be able to go to, to, I'm doing the U S open next week. Um, I'm heading to Tahiti, which I think is a, an amazing event and I'll do the WSL finals. And then I don't know what happens the next season. I mean, if they want to have me back and um, I can put some events on the schedule, I will. Uh, and that's kind of where I'm at. Sounds good. Well, I'll tell you what, I was going to talk about what one of my sort of most memorable incidents with you. Not that it's all about me, this interview, Pete, but um, uh, our little... <laughs> When we were doing the Nazare comp, when Alex Patello almost died, and that was a, uh, I mean, that was just looking back, I sort of never, I haven't really talked about it with you, I don't think, properly in terms of what, I mean, we had a bit of a debrief afterwards. In the Nazare um, sort of toad comp, I think the first one, wasn't it, two, three years ago, where um, just at the very end of the day, Alex Patello, Portuguese legend, one of the most experienced Nazare big wave riders, sort of got launched off the jet ski and, and got uh, effectively when he came down, he hit the ski and punched his lung and then got knocked unconscious. And me and you were calling that as it happened. And um, I think you were the first one to really realise that it was something serious. But, yeah, that was a, a rattling experience for me. I'm not sure it would change the way you approach it. But, yeah, I, I'm just interested to see what yeah what you took from that, that experience because it was potentially almost – calling a death, weren't we at that stage? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you always have that in the back of your mind, especially at a place like Nazare. Um, you know, I was part of the, I was the commissioner of the big wave tour when we first brought that event on as a paddle event. And, you know, that was major concerns from the athletes was, Hey, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves, this is a very, very dangerous wave. 
Um, and the reason being obviously is the size of the way, but the fact that it's a beach break and there's no way to get out without using, you know, these machines, basically these, you know, personal watercraft. And um, the danger with the watercraft is, you know, going in and out, especially at a place like that, where it's really no road out, there's not a channel. Um, so you're, the risk there was so high and then you're carrying a 10 foot board. Um, and that's an example. I mean, there was that, that wasn't the only accident that's happened there. You know, you've seen it over and over. We had Maya Gabriera who, um, you know, almost drowned there. So it, it, the, the disastrous part of that is that, um, you know, it's going to happen at some point. Right. And to see it actually unfold like we did was scary, you know, and, um, we're very fortunate that, that, you know, Alex was able to, to pull through that one because it could have easily gone the other way. And we would have been probably not seeing an event there anymore. Um, so yeah, it was shocking. Um, but again, it's something that you kind of always have in the back of your mind and you just hope that it never happens. Yeah. And the surfers obviously, you know, deal with those situations day and day out and know the risks, but, um, yeah, it was, um, well, especially a place like that. And even like, for example, the code red 2.0 swell, I mean, that was a situation where, um, I watched that kind of unfold from Africa. Um, you know, I was realizing that the, the authorities were shutting down the boats, which I think was a a good call because you know that day specifically didn't look like you want to add a you know 100 boats out in the channel on a day like that but then again you know those guys were were sitting there and they were doing these live broadcasts from the skis and i could see you know billy kemper um they both did some instagram live moments before they even rode waves and i could tell in their minds they were watching these waves going oh man do i even want to participate and they were kind of psychologically trying to get themselves pumped up um and even, you know, talking to God, really, like talking to their higher power just to go, hey, keep me safe. And that's, it, it was kind of wild. And I, I fell asleep that night because it was happening, um, you know, in the morning and I, it was late and I needed to go to bed. And I, um, I was just fearing that I was going to wake up in the morning and hear someone had, had gotten really seriously hurt. Um, and, and, you know, on those types of days, that's where the level's going now, which is just incredible. And it's like everyone wants to go to that next world record, the next bigger wave, um, that big, you know, the biggest barrel. Like these things are, you know, as anything goes, everyone's trying to top the next big thing. And, you know, you put yourself in situations that maybe you shouldn't be participating in. And I mean, I'm sure there were some surfers there that day that decided that, hey, you know, and that's why I think that, you know, you only saw a couple ways ridden is that. You know, they were being very, very selective and very cautious in their approach. Which is why I suppose that wave of yours, you know, last year was it was so important that it was another sort of step in the big wave progression. But the fact that it had sort of been done by you, had been living through it for 20 or 30 years, made it all the more special, I suppose, and that, <laughs> you know, to see these young guys do it is amazing, but to see someone that, was there at the start or not the start, but, you know, for the last couple of decades to it, that's what added so much depth to it. I think it was like a, a, a lovely narrative arc, Pete, wasn't it? I thought, thought it was amazing. Yeah, it for sure was. You know, and I think again, like I was able to enjoy it just this morning, right? Like I was able to put it up on a, on a reel on, on Instagram and, and relive it once again. And that's something that I, <laughs> I get to take all the way to my grave. So, um, do you put it on like your TV most nights and watch the family and that just make yeah. make them watch it and stuff pretty much regularly? <laughs> <laughs> I 
if I need a little bit of a pump up in my head, yeah, I can throw it down and I'll throw it on my computer. I do wake up every morning and have a photo that's on my home screen <laughs> of the wave. So well, I get my, reminded most every day. Well, but, as Chad Smith said, it's the year of the condor and it's only July. So you've still got six months of it left to go. Um, so, yeah, enjoy it. And I hope there's going to be plenty more year of the condors left. But um, really appreciate. Well, my, my fingers fingers crossed I get to hang out with you. Um, you know, my plan is to to do uh, the two events, the Challenger Series events again. Um, I haven't gotten confirmation yet from uh, our buddy there, but I'm hoping that we get to hang out in, in Europe again this year. Yeah, mate, I'll put in a good word for you. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing the same. Yeah, hopefully we'll be in um, Thank France. you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.